All right, if you guys have your Bibles, um, can you open to Mark chapter 1? And tonight we're starting a new teaching series uh, for the summer. And uh, I mean, series titles don't really matter much, but we're going to call it Encountering Jesus. Okay, the, the, the title of this teaching series is Encountering Jesus. And we're going to be looking at various passages from the Gospels. Um, and I think... The reason I chose this series is because I think it would be good for us just to study this particular genre or this portion of our Bibles. But more significantly, I just wanted us to get to know the person of Jesus better, right? And I just thought, what, what better way than to study his teaching and to study his life as presented to us in the Gospels? Um, a couple of Sundays ago, I shared this quote from Robert Murray McShane. Uh, let me just read a little bit more of what he said in that quote. And you might recognize the part I said, but he writes this. He says, learn much of your own heart. When you have learned all you can, remember you have seen but a few yards into a pit that is unfathomable. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, in such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. And so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. And so that's our goal for going through this series in the Gospels. Um, and in some of these passages that we're going to be looking at, such as tonight, we're going to see Jesus and he's tender, he's compassionate, he's caring, he's a, a friend of sinners. Um, and in some of these other ones, we're going to see Jesus as stern. And we're going to see him say some really hard things. Uh, but as we encounter him in the pages of the Gospels, you see what he's like, you know, the things that he taught about, the way that he interacted with people, with sinners. Uh, as we see the things that moved him to compassion or to anger, hopefully that helps us to know Christ better and, and to love him and to trust him and obey him more in our own lives. Uh, something we'll actually be doing for the summer also is we're gonna do co-ed randomized small groups after the message. So I just thought I had to like mentally prepare you guys for that ahead of time. Um, but we're gonna do that after the message, okay? So it'll be just random groups. Um, doesn't have to be gender specific, uh, just with the people around you. And hopefully it's just a nice change of pace and you get an opportunity to like just have intentional conversations uh, with different brothers and sisters in Vegan. So that's gonna be after our message. Uh, but like I said, we're going to start tonight by looking at Mark chapter 1, and specifically in verses 40 to 45. And this is a passage where Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Um, and this is a passage, I think, maybe one of the best passages in Scripture that shows us the heart and the compassion of Jesus, uh, specifically in response to our sin and our suffering. Uh, one of the pastors jokingly asked me if I chose this passage on leprosy because of COVID and distancing, but uh, no, it's just coincidental. Uh, although I guess tonight would be the night to do it before we reopen. Um, but yeah, this is our passage for tonight. Let me read it for us and then I'll pray and, and we'll jump into it. All right, so Mark chapter one, verses 40 to 45. It says, and the leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town that was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, let's pray. God, as we dive into this passage now, as we uh, just take a, a prolonged look at your son and at his heart for sinners and sufferers, um, I pray that you give us clarity, give us understanding, um, give us a, a vision of Christ that uh, is greater than our own assumptions, that is greater than uh, our own feelings, um, our own thoughts. Show us your son through the pages of your scripture and I pray that as we behold him, or that you would grow our affections, um, you would help us to run to you more quickly, and you would, yeah, change the way that we live, or that we would love you and trust you and obey you more. And so do that through the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to take this in three parts. Uh, really simple outline, request, response, and reversal. Okay, uh, we'll start with number one. Request. request. So look at verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, when you read verse 40, the key word that should stick out to you from that verse is what do you guys think is the key word in that verse? Let me shout it out. One word. <laughs> Leper. I heard the word leper. Yeah, that's a correct answer. It's the word leper. That's kind of a hard question. Um, because it's this man's leprosy that colors this entire interaction. All right. This is this helps us to interpret this passage. Uh, this man's leprosy is what makes this encounter with Jesus so significant and so shocking. And if you are somewhat familiar with the Bible, you have probably heard of leprosy before. Maybe you are familiar that, or maybe you know that it's a skin disease, that leprosy rendered a person unclean. Uh, but even then, I think it's hard to totally capture what this disease was like. What we need to know is that leprosy was a horrible, absolutely devastating sentence on anyone. Leprosy was the most uh, dreaded disease of that day. Uh, maybe a modern day equivalent would be like cancer, um, or heart disease for us, uh, but leprosy was the disease of that day. And, and obviously we know more about leprosy now than they did back then. Actually in the Bible, when it talks about leprosy, it refers a little more broadly to just like various kinds of skin diseases. Um, and like actual leprosy is known today as, they call it Hansen's disease. Um, and even though it's, it's bad still, it's, it's completely curable. Uh, but what happened in the worst forms of leprosy was that in addition to just growing all of these like sores and blisters and scales all over your body, this disease would actually attack and it would destroy uh, the nerves in your body. So that soon you would basically be unable to sense anything. Like you wouldn't be able to feel any sort of pain. And your whole body, especially the extremities, like your hands, your feet, um, your nose, your eyes, your ears, your whole body was just numb because you couldn't feel anything. And so without the ability to feel pain, someone with leprosy would literally wear out their own limbs. I and mean, your, your pain uh, receptors are, are there for a reason. 
right, to warn you of stuff. But if they don't work, then you wouldn't be able to notice injuries to your body. You would scratch yourself until you bled because you couldn't feel it. In fact, there was a Christian doctor, um, his name is Dr. Paul Brand, and he became one of the leading figures when it came to treating leprosy, actually. Um, and he told the story about how he was working among this colony of lepers. He was in India, he was at a hospital. They had to retrieve something from this locked closet. Um, and when they tried to open the door, I guess it hadn't been opened for a long time. So the lock was all rusty, the key wouldn't turn. Um, and there was a 10 year old boy there and he, he came up and they offered to try to turn it. And this doctor says that with a jerk of his hand, this boy, he turned the key in the lock. And when he saw that he was dumbfounded, right? Like they were struggling so hard with this. Um, like how did this boy turn it so easily? But then Dr. Brand caught a glimpse of the blood on this boy's hand. See what happened was when he turned that key, it had gashed his finger down to the bone. And yet the boy didn't feel it at all, right? Because his nerves were, were killed, right? He had leprosy. The worse than the physical damage that this disease wrecked on a person's body was the stigma of it. It was the devastating effects on you emotionally, relationally, um, even spiritually. It was the effects on you as a member of society. See, the thing about being it being a skin disease is that everyone can see it, right? If you have heart problems, if you have, I don't know, other sorts of diseases, it's internal, you can't see it. But with this, like there's no hiding it, right? Everyone can see that you have this disease. And this stigma led to social alienation and isolation. I mean, lepers were quarantined. They were removed from their families and their communities. They were forced to live, what the Bible says, outside the camp. Uh, in their own little colonies. And I think for all of us, we got like a small, small taste of this with COVID this past year, right? Like for many of you, you were forced to stay home uh, for a pretty significant amount of time. Like maybe even over a year, you were away from your friends, your classmates, you were away from campus, from work, WCF, church. And like, you weren't even totally alone because you had your family, right? For many of you, you lived with your parents but still just that prolonged time of being away from people, from being isolated. Uh, so many of you felt the effects of that, right? It was, it was challenging. Well, as a leper, it was even worse because all of your relationships were severed. And as a leper, you, there was no more like embracing your loved one, no more kissing your husband or your wife, no more hugging your kids. Those who once were your friends, they now considered you dead. One scholar describes it this way. He says, a man with this disease was among the living dead. Uh, a man with leprosy was basically untouchable. Now I want you to notice there's another word in this leper's request in verse 40. He says, if you will, you can make me clean, right? That word clean. So he says, it's not just like you can make me well, but you can make me clean. And that word clean is a religious word. Um, ritual cleanliness that had to do with your ability to enter into the temple where you would worship God. If you were unclean, you weren't able to do that. In fact, in there's two whole chapters in Leviticus, uh, chapters 13 and 14, where it lays out a bunch of rules or laws about leprosy. And if you read through it, it's kind of confusing. It talks about like how you judge how severe the disease is based on like the color of the hair and the color of the skin and all that stuff. 
Um, and it's not like that God is against lepers, but these were given to, to Israel in order to protect everyone else because this was a contagious disease. But in, that, in those chapters, you learn that a leper had to go to the priest and they had to be examined and the priest would, would look at this person's sores and he would pronounce him as either clean or unclean. And if this priest found you to have leprosy, then uh, Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, it says that the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Right? So you basically had to make it just obvious to everyone around you that you are a leper. You have this terrible disease. You have to wear your, your hair long. You have to rip your clothes up. You have to shout unclean, unclean wherever you go. He continues, it says, he shall remain unclean as long as he has disease. He is unclean. And he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And the worst of all was that there was nothing that could help you. There was no cure. There was no changing your situation. The law couldn't help you. The law could only tell you that leprosy was bad. The, only, the law could only tell you where to live, how to dress, what you had to shout out when people were around you. But the law could not cure you of your leprosy. There is uh, an account in 2 Kings chapter 5 about this commander um, who had leprosy, and his name was Naaman. And Naaman hears word about, uh, he calls it the prophet, of, the prophet in Samaria who can, who can cure leprosy. And uh, he's referring to Elisha, right, the prophet in the Old Testament. And so he hears about Elisha who can cure leprosy. And so he writes a letter to the king of Israel. Um, he's hoping to connect with this prophet. Right? He's hoping to be cured. And when the king receives this letter from Naaman, he reads it, and it says that he, this king tears his clothes, and he says, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Right? Am I God to cure someone of their leprosy? Maybe the way that we would put it if someone had leprosy is we would say, or you would say about them, like only God can save them now. That's what you would say about someone with leprosy. To cure someone of this disease was second only to raising someone from the dead. In fact, not only did people believe that leprosy was so damaging, it was so incurable that only God could do something about it, but there was this widespread belief that leprosy was somehow this sort of divine punishment on you, that God was punishing you for some hidden sin in your life as if somehow you deserved this thing that was happening to you, even if that wasn't true. And this contributed to that stigma that we talked about, right? Like people think that you're guilty of something because you have this disease. And so physical, uh, relational, emotional, even spiritual isolation, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about leprosy. So are you beginning to get a picture of just like how terrible, how, how devastating this disease was in that day. And so with all of that in mind, I want you to read verse 40 again, and I want you to realize that what this leper does here is not normal. Right? What this leper does here in verse 40 is breaking every kind of social and ritual boundaries. 
that this man is supposed to keep his distance six feet away, right? He's supposed to shout unclean, unclean if he ever goes near anyone. And as a leper, you're not supposed to come to anybody. You stay away from everyone. But with this man, you'll do anything if you're desperate. Right? If you're desperate, you will do anything it takes. And that word there um, for calling or imploring in the ESV, it not only communicates this like ongoing or this continuous or this repeated calling, like you're 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 like pray you're praying you're pleading for help, um, but this word actually means to call to one's side. So this this leper is calling Jesus, hey, can you come here where I am? It also says that this leper is kneeling, right? And maybe that picture is even he's like wrapping his arms around Jesus's knees. Um, it's this posture of helplessness of humility. And what does he say? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. And that's an interesting statement. He says, if you will, you can. And so this leper, he doesn't doubt Jesus's ability, right? One of the things about, uh, about Mark's, gospel, uh, Mark's gospel is that Jesus gains popularity super fast. Basically in these first few chapters, He's going throughout Galilee. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. Um, and so there's a buzz. He's getting popularity. And it says that like Jesus can't even go around without people basically crowding him, wanting to see him. And so certainly this leper had heard the stories, right? He, he had heard the news about Jesus, this miracle worker, that he could heal people of their diseases, that he could cast demons out. And so he doesn't doubt Jesus's power. He doesn't doubt his ability. That is not the issue here. What this man is unsure about is whether or not Jesus is willing. Whether or not Jesus is willing. In other words, his question here, or his request, is getting at Jesus' disposition. It's getting at, what is Jesus, what is your heart towards me? And I think, like, just thinking about all of the context, like, we can understand why. Right. We can understand why this is the question for this leper, because think about it. When is the last time someone willingly did something for this man? Like when is the last time that someone acted charitably, someone acted in goodwill towards this leper? And so do you see what's happening here for this leper? Jesus's power, his ability was like this kind of generic theological concept. Maybe it was something he heard from other people. Uh, maybe it was even something that he could affirm, in theory at least. But when this leper thought about that reality, Christ's power, his ability, and he applied that to his own real circumstances, to his own life, to his own sin and his own suffering. When he thought about what that meant in his own life, he wasn't so sure. And maybe you guys can relate to that. And as you know, one of the big things here at Lighthouse is uh, biblical counseling. And so as a pastor here on staff, I actually get the opportunity to take on some like formal counseling cases. Uh, and, and one of the common themes, I think just like whatever the issue, whoever it is that walks into the counseling room, uh, one of the common themes is that often these people, they know the right answers. You know, they know who God is. They know what the Bible says. They know what God is like. They know the importance, the authority of scripture. 
Uh, they even know how to identify the idols of their own hearts, as we talk about so often here. But the challenging part in counseling often is helping them to be convinced that God's power and scripture's sufficiency meets their own personal and unique sins, their own personal and unique suffering and circumstances. Because for these people who are going into counseling, their circumstances are so big. I mean, maybe their circumstances are even isolating, right? They're like, no one can relate to them. Their circumstances set them apart from other people. Like no one else shares their struggle. No one else has such a difficult background or a family like they do. And it's like, okay, I can believe that God can do this for anyone else. But when it comes to my circumstances, right, what, what I'm going through, I'm not so sure. Because you don't know this about me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like. And I think this passage shows us that Jesus is not only fully able, but he's fully willing. You cannot separate Christ's power from his compassion as if they operated separately. Right? His power is a compassionate and a willing power. And his compassion is powerful. His compassion is powerful to heal and to deliver. And that's what we see in his response. So point number two, um, his response, verse 41. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. I want you to notice three things, three things about um, Jesus's response here. The first, I want you to see that phrase, moved with pity. It says that Jesus was moved with pity. Um, and different translations render that word in different ways. Um, and actually, there's there's a couple of Greek manuscripts that actually use an entirely different word there. Um, but maybe in your Bibles, you might see the word compassion or pity or indignation um, or even anger. But what I want you to take away from that is that Jesus felt strongly. Okay, Jesus felt strongly. He was moved, whether it was this deep compassion or whether it was a holy or righteous anger, he felt strongly in response to this man. And we're actually going to take a look at Jesus's anger um, more in our passage next week, uh, which I think will be very helpful. Uh, but I don't think it's hard to imagine that Jesus felt both of those things, right? Whether it's compassion or whether it's anger and indignation, um, I don't think it's hard that like both of those things were possible. That much like you and I might feel some sense of anger at the sound of bad news, um, or when we hear about the suffering of a loved one that moves us to anger, right? That I, I imagine that Jesus was angry at the suffering that was caused by this leprosy, that he was angry at the fact that there was this like social stigma, that he was angry at the fact that this man had to be utterly alone. He was indignant at the fact that a disease like leprosy even exists because we live in this sin-cursed world. And yet that anger, as we talked about, is wrapped up in Christ's perfect and deep compassion. I mean, here is Jesus, who's actually at this point in Mark, he's this like pretty important person. You can even call him a celebrity. Right? He is other, he's someone that other people want to be around. And here's Jesus, and he's associating with this outcast. Right? He is uh, condescending to his condition. I'm sure all of us have had the experience um, of waiting at a red light 
uh, on a freeway off ramp, or maybe you're walking through like Westwood or, or the streets with your friends and um, you encounter a homeless person, right? And they have a sign, this is maybe like it maybe says hungry, please help. And as you're walking by, I don't know what you guys do, maybe hand them a dollar uh, or for you, for you, maybe like you avoid eye contact, you just keep walking for whatever reason. Um, and you look at this person in need, right? Just like a homeless person. And you might feel some degree of compassion. Uh, you might feel some degree of like, you wish that you could help. But I think for us more often than not, I think a better question is why don't we feel more, right? Like why, don't our, why aren't our hearts moved more um, to pity and to compassion for this person? Why are our hearts often so cool and unmoved? And I think the reason for that is because of our sin, right? Our hearts aren't moved because of our sin. Um, Dane Ortland, he says that fallen emotions not only sinfully overreact, right? Not only sinfully overreact, so like think about losing your temper or you say something regrettable that you wish you could take back. We can all think of instances where we've sinfully overreacted in our emotions. But he says that fallen emotions also sinfully underreact. That our sin keeps us from feeling grief or sorrow and compassion and care for other people as we should. That our hearts should be moved towards pity for these less fortunate, and yet they're not because we're thinking about ourselves, right? Because of our sin. You know, here's Jesus. He's the perfect and the sinless Son of God. And this verse says that he is moved with pity. Like that is what is happening at the deepest parts of his heart. He is moved with pity. He is feeling deeply. And Jesus is not just going around doing acts of compassion. Right? He's not just going around handing dollar bills to like homeless people. He actually feels deeply. He's moved to compassion in his innermost being for sinners and sufferers. And I think we need to know that, don't we? That Jesus does not just forgive, but he is forgiving. That he doesn't just show us patience when you fail again and again, but he is patient. And so patience is actually something that we can expect from God. Right? Forbearance is something we can turn to and expect from God who is forbearing. Second thing I want you to see is, uh, it said, Mark says, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And so how does Jesus express his deep emotions to this leper? Well, he, he reaches out, he touches him, and he says, I will be clean. So his response doesn't just stop with this like strong feeling in his gut, but he follows through with a touch. When you think about it, Jesus could have healed this man at just the sound of his word. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just said, be healed. But he reaches out, he touches this man. And I just want you to like put yourself in that situation for a second. What would you have done? Now, would you have touched this leper? I mean, even with COVID, like maybe earlier on, I want you to think about the questions that you would like mentally run through in your mind before any kind of social interaction, right? Like, is this safe? Am I going to get sick? Is this person wearing a mask? Are they vaccinated? Is this worth it to shake this person's hand? And like we said earlier, the boundaries around interacting with those with leprosy would have been that times a thousand, right? Much more severe. And actually, you, you just don't interact with lepers, period, at all. You definitely don't touch them. And Jesus here, he doesn't flinch. 
because he doesn't just want to heal this man, but he wants to minister to him. And he knows this is exactly what this man needed. Just like think about when was the last time that this leper experienced any sort of human touch? Might have been years, maybe even decades. So, Vegan, do you have an eye for this kind of God's ministry uh, in your life? I think often in our troubles, when things are hard, we can go, we can get so caught up in like, what is the quick fix? Like, what is that thing that I think I desperately need? What is that one answer or one solution to my problem? Right? What is that big thing I'm hoping for? But Jesus here ministers to the whole person. And he ministers to him. He gives him exactly what he needs, not just healing, but this ministry of touch. And so what does that look like for you, Beacon? Like he gives you sustaining grace to go on for another day. Right? He allows you to have in encouraging conversations with the right people at the right time, exactly when you need it. Or maybe he just gives you like the blessing of a really fun, really enjoyable, really restful day in a season that's been really busy and really stressful. Right? Like maybe that is the touch for you. That maybe that is the way that Jesus or, or God is ministering to you, right? In, in your suffering, in your sin. And so do you have eyes to see how God knows how to provide you with exactly what you need at the right time, even if it's in small ways? And what happens when Jesus touches him? This is the third thing I want you to see. Mark says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And so uh, what should have happened here is that Jesus should have become unclean. When Jesus touches this leper, what should have happened is he, Jesus should have become defiled. He should have become unclean. I mean, that, that was the reason why they have all of these rules, all of these regulations to protect you from becoming unclean by a leprous person. But here we see that's not what happens to Jesus. The reason for that is because Jesus is more clean than we are unclean. Jesus is more clean than we are unclean. Jesus is more pure than we are impure. That there is more right in Jesus than there is what is wrong in us. Um, Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.20, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And we see here that your sin, your uncleanness, they are no match for Christ's power and his mercy. They're not even close. I mean, Mark says immediately, that's a key word in the gospel of Mark, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. That every sore, every blister on this person's body was completely healed. His fingers, his toes, which might have been eaten away, which might have deteriorated, they are completely restored. And as for, for as long as this man could remember, he was unclean, unclean. Wherever he went, he would have to say, unclean, unclean. And now he has been made clean. So we've seen this leper's shocking and desperate request. We've seen Jesus' compassionate response. There's one more thing I want you guys to see. It's our third point. Uh, we'll call it reversal. Reversal. Now Mark could have ended this account right here, but he gives us a few more verses. And um, when you read these verses, it might seem a little hard to understand at first, a little confusing. But as we'll see, they are actually very significant. Uh, verse 43 says, And Mark sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, 
and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, you might be confused by those instructions in verse 43. Like, why is Jesus so secretive about this? Uh, like, isn't this a great opportunity for evangelism, for the gospel? Isn't this a great time to share with others about, you know, what Jesus can do? Why does he do this? Well, commentators, they sometimes refer to this as the messianic secret, the messianic secret. And our passage is uh, only the end of chapter one of Mark. But Jesus' popularity from healing and from casting out demons is already sky high. And you look at verse 28, uh, again in verses 36 and 37, uh, in the passage right before ours, Jesus, it says he has to retreat early in the morning to a desolate, pray, a desolate place just to pray. And when his disciples finally find him, they're like, hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus is like, okay, then let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere else where I can preach because that's what I came to do. And so Jesus came to preach the gospel, right? The message of the kingdom. And, and the reason why he doesn't want to, like, all this popularity, why he didn't want this leper to tell anyone, and he does this with other people as well, is he didn't want the miracles to become a distraction. He didn't want to provoke the Jewish leader's opposition prematurely because he needed to preach, right? There was still work that he needed to do. And actually, this is going to characterize Mark's gospel um, until we reach the halfway point, which is Peter's confession. Um, and that's kind of the turning point in the gospel of Mark. But Jesus is serious about this, right? If you look in our passage, Mark says he sternly charged him and he sent him away at once. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus tells this man, hey, just go to the priest. Okay, let him examine you. Let him pronounce you clean. Make your offering. Do your thing. And you can be welcomed back as a functioning member of society. Right? Like, that's all I want you to do. But what does this lab review? Verse 45. It says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. And so this guy just, like, totally disobeys Jesus. In fact, it's the very first thing that he does as a healed person is to disobey what Jesus just told him. And Jesus just saved this guy's life, and he has one ask of him, one request, and he doesn't do it. And I think for us, when we read it, uh, it's kind of easy to just, like, minimize his disobedience, right? It's kind of easy to just, like, brush it under the rug, like it's not a big deal. Uh, but I don't think we should do that because Mark doesn't do that. I mean, it says that the consequences were that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus couldn't carry on with his preaching. In fact, after this point, if you keep reading in chapters 2 and 3, you'll notice that there's more and more of this religious hostility against Jesus. I think much of it was kicked off because of this. But the important part that I think we're supposed to notice in this, in these verses, is the location. Hey, look at the location in these verses. When we began this story, where was Jesus? He was on the inside. Right? He was in the city. He was preaching. And this leper, this leper was on the outside. And now, at the end, because of this leper's disobedience, it's Jesus who is on the outside now. It's Jesus who is in desolate places, while this leper, while this leper is welcomed back into community. Right? You see what's taken place? They've, they've traded places. Right? There's this reversal 
that has taken place. And now that you see that, I think you kind of know where I'm going with this, but isn't that a picture of the gospel? And right? if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, God's word is that you have traded places with Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, um, that God the Father made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in the gospel, Christ takes on your sin and your punishment. And because of your disobedience, uh, and we, in his place, we get his perfect and we get his sinless life. And in the gospel, the outsider, us, sinners, are brought in as the chosen one is cast out. Is cast out into desolate places where we belong. In fact, I think this entire account is intended to be a parable of sorts. This entire account is meant to be this vivid picture of our sin and what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. See, why is leprosy so significant in the Bible? It's not just because it was the disease of that day, but it's because it was so symbolic of our picture of sin. That leprosy was this picture of our true spiritual condition, that your sin, your rebellion has corrupted every part of your life. Uh, we, th- we call that total depravity. And like this disease, it progresses, it eats you up, it destroys you. Like leprosy, your sin alienates and it isolates and it fractures relationships, both with other people, but most significantly with God. That like leprosy, sin, sin brings about shame and separation. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, like my life doesn't look like that. My life doesn't look like this leper's life. Because I have it pretty good. I have good relationships. I'm in community. I have a good family. I have an education. I have all of these things going for me. And if so, you know, that's God's grace, right? That's Praise God for that. Guys, don't let these things block you from seeing true spiritual realities, right? Don't let these things block you from seeing the true condition and reality of sin. I mean, that is why we need pictures like this one to remind us that sin is our greatest and our most significant problem, that there is no covering up. There's no pretending as if you're not sick. See, one of the commendable things about this leper is the fact that he did not let the shame or the embarrassment or the stigma of what other people might think about him stop him from coming to Jesus. He did not let those things stop him from asking Jesus for what he needed most. And for us, how often do we let the opinions of others hinder us from open and honest confession of sin? And how often do we, do we let the opinions of others, the approval of others, wanting to look good in front of other people, stop us from really confessing and, and, and embracing, like, I'm a sinner, right? I'm really messed up. So I hope this passage helps you to more clearly see your own sin but I hope it also helps you to more clearly see your own Savior. When Jesus sees your sin and when he sees your suffering, Jesus is not catched. He's not disengaged. He's not disinterested. And Jesus, when he sees your sin, he doesn't keep you at arm's distance. No, when he sees you, he, he moves towards you. Right? Even if everyone else would turn you away, even if everyone else rejects you, Jesus is not repulsed by you like other people are. I mean, he will do what others are not willing to do. I hope this passage helps you to see that Jesus doesn't just see our sin as like just ammunition, right? As like a reason to be angry at you. 
I hope you don't see Jesus, or I hope you don't think of Jesus and our sin and see it the same way as like how you and I can store up this mental record of wrong, right? We keep a ledger of how people have wronged us and we use it later on, right? For those people that are hard to love. Now our sin should grieve us for the same reason why it grieves Jesus, because it destroys us, right? because it's dangerous, because it's destructive. Because like a parent, you would do anything to get that sickness away from your child. I mean, if, if leprosy, this earthly physical disease, moves Jesus to pity here, and just think about how much more does our spiritual disease of sin evoke Christ's heart of compassion? Right? How much more does our sin move him to pity, move him to compassion? So is that your understanding of who Jesus is? Like, is that your experience in your relationship with him, that when you fall short, that when you haven't opened your Bible and you haven't prayed in weeks, that when you have clicked on that website yet again, uh, after you can't believe those words just came out of your mouth and the heat of that argument that you just had, is this your experience of who Jesus is? That he is compassionate towards you, that his hatred towards your sin is out of his love for you. That he is not only completely able, but he is completely willing. Is that your vision of Christ? Is that who you know Jesus Christ to be? You know, for myself, I know that I need to be reminded of this, right? I, like I need to see Christ in this way and to see it often because my own natural assumptions about who he is doesn't look like this. Like I, I know that I can hear about his power. I can hear about his compassion. I can... Uh, know his complete ability and his complete willingness towards sinners, and yet I can still doubt his love. I can still doubt whether he will receive me. I can still distance myself from him because I think that he stands at a distance when I sin. So I need this vision of Christ. I mean, I need this vision of Christ because I know that the grind and the busyness and the urgency of each day can distract me from my greatest problem. Like I can believe that the most significant problems in my life are that I need more time or that I didn't get enough sleep or I need to perform well at my job or I need to make people happy. So I need to be reminded that my sin is devastating and destructive, that Christ loves me so much that he would do whatever it takes to get rid of it from my life. You know, Dane Orland, he says, uh, he wrote the book Gentle and Lonely, which I, uh, Lowly, which I commend to you guys. Um, he said that one of the journeys that mark the Christian life is that throughout your years as a Christian, you are letting the word of God repeatedly replace your own natural assumptions about who God is. Right? We all approach our relationship with God. We have this idea of what we think he is, uh, of what we think he is like. And maybe part of it is biblical, but a lot of it is, is not true, right? Honestly. And so this Christian life, the journey of the Christian life, much of it is letting the word of God repeatedly replace your own natural assumptions about who God is, about the heart of Christ for you. And so what does that look like for you tonight? Where in your relationship with him do you need to have your assumptions about him replaced by this true and this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ? Right? Jesus Christ, who is both willing and who is both able. Let me close with uh, just this quote that he wrote. And, and honestly, I could have quoted like many sections of his book, but uh, this is just one part he says. He says, every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, 
If we betray enough times, we are cast out and the walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. First at conversion and a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. And so is this your understanding of Jesus? And if not, then go to the word and, and, and look at him. Right? And, and let the word shape your heart. Let the word shape your thoughts. Behold Christ through the pages of the Gospels. I hope uh, that's our goal throughout the summer, right? That repeatedly we just come to him, look at Jesus, what he is like. Um, and that would translate over into our relationship with him. Right? That we would go to him freely. Christ who is both uh, able, who is both willing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, just this picture of Jesus. Um, yeah, just this specific instance in which he interacts with this man with leprosy. Um, but God, we know that it's such a, a picture of, of all of us, not just with this physical condition, but with a spiritual condition, with our disease of sin. Um, and yet, God, the heart of Christ is the same towards us, that he is compassionate, that he draws near, that he is grieved by our sin out of his love for us, uh, that we can approach him. And so uh, wherever just these college students are at in their understanding of who they believe Jesus Christ to be, I, I pray, Lord, that you would replace that with just uh, a true understanding of Jesus uh, and knowing that, that we would run to him and we would love him and we would uh, cherish him, obey him and, and trust him and obey, uh, worship him all the more. And so thank you for just giving us this vision of Christ through this passage tonight. I pray for just a fruitful time of discussion in our small groups. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.